the sky ain't a worry in my mind Looks like we're in the clear, clear, clear What is going on you guys and welcome back to episode 8 of our portfolio building series Dad, what's going on over there? Hey Brandon, all, all's good here in Paul River I can't believe we're on episode 8 already It uh, seems like this time is just flying by it has flown by, but as I, we are gonna as we are gonna touch on later in this video, we're only three and a half months into yeah. this challenge, eh? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's been fun, it's been awesome, but we are still really in the early innings, and we do have a section of this video kind of set towards that, where we're gonna talk about what moves we've been making, more or less actually the lack of moves and why we've kind of taken that approach. But I don't want to jump the gun there. We can get into that later into the uh, video. Yeah, th this will be, I think, somewhat of a, a philosophical discussion today, more so than, you know, what have we been doing lately and looking at all the trades and the details. This will be more sort of conceptual. I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you today because I think it's uh, very, very valuable uh, when we look at the big picture. And, and we did add over this period, we added three new holdings. So we are going to touch on that today. If you're curious what we bought, make sure to stick around. Sure. Before we dive into it, is there another COVID stream going around? Another COVID strain. There's a new strain. I can't remember strain. the name. It's it's a, a crazy name. Yeah, it's short. Name. Yeah, it's one of those Greek alphabet uh, letters. Um, can't remember yeah. what it's. Can't remember what it is, but it is. Uh, I mean, Delta obviously is the predominant variant right now. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, apparently this one's picking up steam. And wow, I just wish we could put this behind maybe we'll us. Never, maybe we're, it's never going to get behind us. Maybe we're oh. going to have to, you know, possibly. Stay. If we can't get ahead of this, it will be around forever. At some point, we need to tackle it, get everybody to a position where you either had it and are naturally uh, immunized, if that even works. There's The evidence isn't clear on that. But then just get immunized, you know, get that shot. And then when we get enough people there, we can start being normal again. We're back to masks. Holy cow. We're supposed to be like in a week or so, we're supposed to be back to like normal. But we're going yeah. the wrong way. We're going and the wrong way. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I heard in, I think, Ontario, they may do a mask mandate till next March. Does that sound? next March, well. Is well, that since, like, <clears throat> kind of makes sense because the, the winter months, right, is where people are more inside and, and uh, yeah. Now, I think if, yeah, if we do a, a full mask mandate, I think every time we've done that, we've seen the numbers go down. Then you relax it, the numbers go back up. So, sheesh. Mm -hmm. Well, this isn't a COVID channel. This yeah, is a, a channel, channel. stock. So let's get on to the video today. Let's start with an overview of the portfolios. By the way, if you guys enjoy the series, please take a moment and drop a big thumbs up. As always, we do have our Investing Academy down below. If you want to follow along with our trades live, if you want more courses and training, that is below. But we're going to put up on the screen our Quest Trade portfolio, which as of today is sitting at $24,714. Again, these portfolios started at $20,000 if you're just joining us now. And the Wealth Simple Trade portfolio is sitting at 23,633. And this brings us to a grand total today of $48,347.84 Canadian. Let's take a brief moment to look into our holdings. And actually, Dad, I find this quite interesting. The, the Quest Trade portfolio, actually, wait, my math was wrong. My math was wrong. Your math is wrong, because we're at, <coughs> yeah, we're at 49,000. 49,400 or something like that, roughly. That's an error. So our Wealth Simple portfolio is actually sitting at 24,633. Mm -hmm. I was about $1,000 short there. I must have just had a typo. Exactly so, 1,000, yeah. There you go. There's our new total, which I'll pop up on the screen for you guys. But what I find <clears> fascinating <throat> is that these accounts are basically neck and neck in, in growth. In fact, the Quest Trade is a little bit higher. Yep. But what a difference in the volatility of the holdings. And Quest Trade, as you can see here, we have a couple of stocks that have done very well, being Apple up 21%. If you hover down a little bit, you're gonna see Google actually, our top performer, up 25%. Pfizer's doing well, up just shy of 20%. But on the downside, you do have that downwards volatility as well. You guys know the story here with our Chinese holdings, being Alibaba and being Tencent. Those are down about 20 a piece. So you have some high flyers that are doing well, you have some poopers that are doing bad. Versus if we look over to the Wealth Simple portfolio, it's a little more steady as she goes. And uh, I'm just gonna have to zoom in on my thing here. We got Bell Canada up 10.84%. Clorox is one of the bigger downward movers in this portfolio, down 6.11. Canadian National Railway up 20%. That's a nice surprise from CNR. Most of that this week. <laughs> exactly, on the news. And that was funny news. They actually, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was more negative news, but nevertheless, uh, a good yeah. pop there. Campbell's Soup, we're gonna talk about that later today. 
Canadian Utilities, Enbridge up 6.5%, Kirkland Lake up 2.4%, Manulife down 3.8%. Moving along the list, we have uh, two of our bond funds, which are pretty much steady as she goes from a growth perspective, but of course we're drawing in income each and every period. And we do have Royal Bank and TD Bank, which are more or less kind of doing the same thing. But how fascinating is that? You, we're well, still this, at the same endpoints, but with very yeah. different routes. Well, and when we launched this um, this whole series, and if, if this is the first time you've tuned in, uh, as Brandon said, this is episode eight. And if you go right back to the beginning, it lays out more sort of the concept of what we're trying to do here. One of the key things we're trying to ascertain is when you have these two vastly different constructed portfolios, how they act. Um, very interesting, three and a half months in, like you say, very similar returns, but a vastly different path. Um, and sort of the whole thing here, like, you know, I'm the boomer, and so uh, I'm sort of taking the lead on the um, the more balanced portfolio, the well simple portfolio. Brandon, as the millennial, is taking the lead on the growth portfolio. Uh, and yeah, I, I think we're seeing exactly what you would expect to see especially in the short term, right? Because in the short term, so much is unknown and you're gonna have huge moves uh, in either way typically. But when you go with the more core blue chip type holdings, those swings should typically be less. Uh, and then you're uh, taking a more aggressive stance and you're gonna see that. Now, of course, as time goes by, that will be the, the true te- the test is to yeah, see- Yeah, once we go through different market, con- serious different market conditions, right? We haven't really seen much of a, a downwards move in the markets. And we've seen, that, we've seen I, some blips, yeah, but nothing major yet. Yeah, and, and I think mm-hmm. that is where you're gonna get a lot of variance too, right? We think these 20% dips are a lot, you know, we could, as we would like to instruct our you know viewers, each and every video is you have to come to expect when you're an equity investor, these portfolios can absolutely fluctuate. And we could see our total value of this portfolio drop 20, 30, 40%. That stuff does happen. Mm. And um, it's just something to be cognizant of, right? It just reminds me of a chart. I, I think we probably can get it real quickly, Brandon, but maybe when you put the video together, um, mm. we can throw overlay that chart where it shows like the one year time period and the expected yep. fluctuations. And then as you move that line out, then the range becomes more narrow and more narrow. And that's exactly what I would expect to see here. Like you said earlier, we're in the, the very, very early stages of this game, but we're already starting to see the difference between how you know it comes down to your risk tolerance ultimately right and so uh, it's a good demonstration good illustration so far totally well Mm. let's do go ahead and actually before we move on i'll just pop up kind of like an overall view of our portfolio i believe you got this nice and ready for the video sure this kind of gives us a top level look at the different holdings you can kind of take a look over to the right and see all of the positions if we looked at it from a 50,000 foot view, you can see our sector exposure over to the left, and then more or less just some additional information regarding the types of shares, the asset allocation, et cetera, et cetera. But let's move on to our questions from the audience. This one is of my favorite, are- one of my favorite segments, the Q&A. Exactly. This yeah. has to be it because, you know, we get a chance to interact with you guys and hopefully answer as many questions as you guys have. So as always, do leave them down below if you have any more. But the first question that we're going to point out is one from Kuba and Kuba says thanks for sharing your knowledge guys you're welcome I was wondering what do you guys think about getting exposure to all of the Canadian banks through an ETF like Zeb or Z-E-B or for those viewers north of the border Z-E-B Z-E-B yeah <laughs> uh, take it away I don't know if oh. you guys heard I don't know if you guys heard but they did drop the e- the MER down oh. did you know about that recently Dad? Uh, I saw that in our Discord chat on the uh, in the academy. Was, yeah, exactly. So one of our students did notify us of that. This is not an ETF that I invest in, but as Kuba mentioned, it's basically just a compilation of the four or five biggest banks. I think there's five in there, but um, maybe even six. But he says four. Anywho, rather than going yeah. out and buying them individually, you can buy them as a bundle. And they did. I think I don't know the exact amount they dropped it down by, but a notable drop, which does make yeah. it more favorable. Mm-hmm. I think with us we have no issue going out and buying those banks in and of themselves. And I mean, you can speak on this after that, but sure. it's, it's not difficult to go out and buy four or five banks. It can be very difficult if you're trying to get broad exposure to, you know, let's say the international market, let's assume you say, Hey, I sure. want to invest in Europe or in China. Well, that's very, very tricky to do your due diligence and research and buy, you know, a broad spectrum of those companies, which is where an ETF may make a lot of sense. But for me, when it's a concentrated number of stocks that you're looking at, like two or three holdings in the bank sector, is it necessary? My opinion on that is no. I will add to that because um, there, 
a, a, um, an occasion where this, uh, this ETF might be the perfect solution is for someone who's a raw beginner. You know that you want to make, uh, get, have some exposure to the Canadian financial uh, sector, but you just don't feel comfortable going out and making those calls on your own. And like you said, Brandon, when you're buying the, the Canadian banks, they're going to behave very much the same. So there might be some uh, you know, minutiae in the differences between what you would buy at any particular time. But if you just don't have that comfort level, um, this is a good way to get started. And then what you could do is as you've uh, learned, maybe start peeling out a little bit. So let's say you put, you know, 10% of your portfolio, I'm just going to you know, take that number and put it into yeah, yeah. these. This You might say, well, I'm going to peel back every quarter or every six months and start adding whichever you feel, maybe Royal Bank, TD Bank, CIBC, BMO, whichever you feel at that moment is the stock that you want to own directly. And then eventually, and this happens, uh, I saw this happen when I was working in the, in the industry where you would eventually, I would say, migrate from... Um, owning that ETF. This could be done in the banking sector or in any sector for that matter. At the end of the day, what you're doing is you're eliminating that uh, the management fee. And so this fund will act almost exactly like the same basket of funds. If you own them independently, it's just without the management fee. Uh, if you have the comfort level to do that, then uh, it's a great alternative. It really comes down to personal preference, in my opinion, as to where you're at as, a, as an investor or your time, you know. Yeah. No, I think you nailed that with the beginner. You said if you're a beginner, you're new to the stocks, it may make perfect sense to just mm. buy that bundle. But maybe as well as, you know, with time, as you decide to start peeling off, that comes with your experience as that grows. And you decide, hey, I want to get a little more um, flexibility with where I deploy my money within these banks. Your your knowledge of the stock market increases, yeah. your, com your confidence increases, and you say, hey, well, I no longer need that product to buy it for me. I can just go out and buy it myself. So... Yeah, Definitely, and, uh, your your skill level can play a role in that for sure. And bottom line um, for uh, Cuba, if you bought this ETF and you held it for the rest of your investment life, that's going to be fine too. Uh, so there's Agreed. nothing wrong with doing it this way. It's just a different way of doing it. Yeah. Agreed. Next question comes in from Sarthak Mital. I'm a little, I'm a bit new to investing, and I'm confused when you talk about a stock having a good dividend. I heard over the video that sometimes the banks and other stocks with 3% yields, example banks, Clorox, I think, are counted as stocks with fantastic dividends and other times it goes as high as 6%, like an Enbridge. Why is this? Shouldn't stocks with yields in the higher range be considered as good dividend stocks or am I missing something? Well, I think what we can do right now, Brandon, put some nice background music and just put the answer from one of the other viewers on the screen, um, Kun, Kun Huo. Um, mm -hmm. he, he replied to this and he just has an awesome uh, response. I'm just going to pick a few of the, the, the items that he, um, that he talked about here. The first thing he talked about is, is the dividend sustainable? Now, very simple. And I think we have a, 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 in our dividend uh, series, our income series, we talk about the difference between a secure dividend and a more, I just call it a risky dividend. Generally speaking, all else being equal, the higher the dividend you're, you're getting from a company, there is an inherent higher level of risk that goes into that. If your goal is to um, have a, you can sit back, relax, and really hardly ever worry about the dividend not being paid, because for those of you who don't know, dividends aren't guaranteed, then um, you know you can go with a, in the, the more normal sort of three range, 3% three range, I think uh, uh, Sarthak said here in, in his comment, if you want to stretch that yield and you want to go a bit higher, you can just understand that it's it's a different um, a different thing. Um, Kuhn also says here, earnings are not paid as or earnings that are not paid as dividends are still earnings. His point is the fact that a company is paying a lower dividend, uh, they're taking that money hopefully and doing good business things with it. And we think back to you know a lot of startup companies, the largest companies in the world today for years don't pay dividends. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they're they're bad because they're taking every dollar they can, putting it back into the build uh, building the business, and at some point they're going to implement uh, a dividend uh, you know stream, and we see that you know very very routinely mm -hmm. as companies go through through their life cycle. So um, there may be another reason why a company has chosen to pay a lower dividend um, than uh, than a, a competitor or a, typically a, a company that's in a later stage of their development. Anything to add to that, Brandon? Or? No, I, we've talked so much about dividends. I think that kind of does just summarize it. Um, uh, sorry, I will. I forgot to mention, uh, specifically in the comment, it references ZWC. Um, and it's important to know that fund or that ETF has what's called a covered call strategy 
in as part of the um, as part of the uh, mandate of the portfolio of the fund. So that's an entirely different ball game. So the 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 higher yield isn't a pure dividend yield. It's a combination of dividends and the income that's being generated by that covered call strategy. So that's not really apples to apples if you're comparing like a Royal Bank dividend, for example, to a, a ZWC, um, you know, because of, we won't get into the details of that, but that's important to be aware of as well. Bottom line, I would say this type of thing, uh, like really anything else, higher risk generally uh, equals higher re- uh, higher reward over time, but also, um, sorry, yeah, higher, more risk. Or vice, versa, vice versa, yeah, yeah. Or vice versa. So, um, yeah, important that you just understand what you're investing in, but. Um, yeah, and I guess I will tag on one more point yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it also really depends. I would say not all dividends are created equal. And depending on where you are in your investing life, a certain dividend stock may be better for you than another dividend Mm. stock. And, you know, for example, if you are at a point in life where you're saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm entering retirement or I want my dividends to fund my lifestyle. I'm not going to be making as much income from my job maybe then you do put the priority on those higher dividends. You know, maybe you find a secure dividend like an Enbridge, for example, that you feel is reliable and you're actually generating more cash flow on an annual basis. That doesn't discredit uh, a stock like CNR, which has a tremendous dividend uh, growth rate and a di- tremendous dividend track record, but it is a much lower dividend. Mm-hmm. These dividends can both be, let's say, on an equal status, but for the certain type of investor, one may prioritize the higher yield at the yep. moment, one maybe a younger investor may prioritize a stock that's actually growing their dividend faster. You can't just look at the yield. That's just one piece of the equation. One piece of the one piece of the puzzle for sure. And just um, I just realized this also. To, we uh, we have an overlay here that you can throw up on the screen, Brandon. And this is okay. this is the U.S. market, the S and P five hundred, but it shows the dividend yield for the last fifty years. And um, you, you'll see that you know in the last 20, 25 years or so you're looking in that 2% range. Now the TSX I think has a higher uh, dividend yield because the the index is so focused on the banks and the energy Mm -hmm. companies, but across the way. So if 2% south of the border is a, a longer medium term trend, then you could say three or four is a good because you know how do you define good? And I think that's the the you know the meat of the question. So I think everything that we've said about the different things you want to factor in and then say mm-hmm. is three or four percent good? If it serves your purposes, then I would say it could very well be. For sure. Let's move yeah. on to another question sure. from Ty- Tyson Muao. Thank you for answering this question, Kelly. Uh, I don't know if he's replying to someone's question here, but he says, and thank you guys for the tip on using RSI. For long-term investments, do you recommend the 14-day period on the daily chart or the should we look at longer intervals and periods for that entry point? And I believe we have another chart that we can uh, pop up on the screen, but this will be our last question for the Q&A segment. Sure, and I'll just cover that off, Brandon. And he was asked, uh, what, he was re- what Tyson was referring to in the previous update, I had done, I think we had used the RSI as a measure as part of our analysis and Kelly um, had asked that question, our previous question. Um, and so now he was just sort of following gotcha. up on that. But basically, just for those of you who aren't familiar, the RSI is a, um, a technical metric that, that uh, it's called the Relative Strength Index. And it's a momentum indicator that we, uh, as part of our analysis, will often refer to. It, it is It can give you a clue. It can give you one piece of that puzzle as to where the momentum is uh, in a company. Is it, you know, is it trending down and it's gotten to an oversold position where, you know, the markets are just beating it up? Or conversely, has the market just bid it up so high that it's now in that dangerous territory? So um, his question is, do you use the 14-day period? And that's typically what we use. So uh, I'll try and explain this in a few words here. But generally, when you look at the the measure of the RSI, you use a a time period. 14 Mm -hmm. days is, by most measures, the default. And if we look at the chart that we prepared here, the blue line at the top is showing that 14-day um, RSI. And this goes back for five years, and you'll see two lines in the in the upper part there. You'll see a dotted green line and a dotted red line. And the dotted red line indicates a level of 30, and the dotted green line above that indicates a level of 70. So generally speaking, if the RSI trades below that red line, it's considered to be under or oversold. And if it trades above the green line, it's considered to be overbought or over overvalued. So when we look at this five-year chart, you can see the occasions where the, the blue line the uh, that indicates the Royal Bank RSI trades above the green line. 
and when it trades below the red line. So that's an idea of, you know, that's when uh, you would use that as part of your as part of your analysis. Now, when we look at the orange line in the middle, same concept, but this is now measuring the seven day RSI. And what you're going to see, because it's a shorter time period, you're gonna see a lot more of those time periods where it goes above 70 on the overbought side and below 70, uh, or below 30 rather, on the downside. And then to just to complete the, the analysis here, the green line shows a 20 day period for the RSI. And you'll see there are fewer time periods where it goes above and fewer that it goes uh, below. Essentially, if you're a, a, a day trader, if you're a frequent trader, you definitely want to go with that shorter time period because you're in and out of the position all the time and you would react to those um, shorter term occurrences. More, more fine tuned, I guess. You could say. It is more fine tuned, um, but it also can lead, a, RSI isn't a perfect indicator, so it can also lead to false flags. So it might show overbought, you might sell out of it and it continue to go up or vice versa. It can show, hey, it's really oversold and yet it can you know be a laggard for quite a period of time. So if you're extremely nimble and you really know what you're doing, the shorter RSI can, can help you identify those spots more frequently. People could argue, if you're a long-term buy and hold investor, why does it even matter? Or why not even go, like say, with a 20, so you're, um, you're, not, uh, man you know, you're not making so many trades. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. I just tend to default to the 14 days. Um, we, do, we are buy and hold investors. That said, we do manage the account. So there are occasions where, and I think one of the examples we're gonna be coming up with a purchase I made, um, I've got a, some alerts out there, and when certain companies go above or beyond these levels, we'll be alerted to it. It gives you um, a notification, and I don't want to be looking at this every four days. This is going up and down at the same time. There are opportunities that come up um, using that 14-day. That you know we're comfortable with that um, with that time frame. So uh, personal, but I think if you went with 14 days for most people, especially for longer-term investors, you're going to be just fine. It's, it's a good, comfortable number that that we work with. Totally. And yeah, one other thing, I know I've gotten questions before. Some mm. Depending on what sites you use too, that 30 and 70 band sometimes mm. is different. Sometimes you'll see it at 80-20, sometimes it'll be just adjusted. And you can go ahead and adjust those in your settings, but by default, we work with the 30-70 and I think that's kind of the standard. Hey everybody, it's Brandon here. I'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. But anywho, good point. Sorry, yeah. That's, yeah. A, just, that's a good point. Yeah, it's just it's a question that that I do get. Yeah, thank you guys for um, the amazing questions. Yeah, if you guys have more questions like these that you want clarification on that you're learning from, take a moment now mm -hmm. or at any point during the video and leave them down below because each and every video we do this segment and as you said, this is our one of our favorite parts of the segment. It's got to get into it. So. Thank you guys for all the great questions. These three we highlighted in particular. Uh, if you guys are enjoying the video, by the way, I'll just remind you, please do give it a thumbs up because let's move on to the additions that we made in the portfolio. And we added three. Um, here on our little notes tab, we have uh, Baba, we have Campbell Soup, and we did add some Lockheed Martin, which were the three throughout the period. But let's talk about Baba first, as I know, you know, we've done videos on the, the Chinese market, and if you haven't heard our thoughts on that and where Mark and I actually disagree, you should go check out that video because we had a lot of fun making yeah. that one. But nevertheless, this is a trade that actually dates back all the way to July. So we haven't, since our last update, about a day or two after that, we did end up at adding Alibaba. The price that we paid was around $193 for that trade. So the shares have come down today. They're trading at $170. And uh, we're hoping, I'm hoping that, we've, that we're starting to see a little bit of a bottom. We've seen the stock kind of tick up from here. But just in general, this is a very, very simple case of us averaging into our position. And mm -hmm. I guess we could use the term dollar cost averaging uh, if we want to use that term, which gets broadly used. But 
Again, as we talked about uh, at the top of this video, the holdings in this question portfolio are significantly more volatile. Now, as we're in a position of building up our accounts, which we absolutely are, we're in the accumulation phase, this can be swung into our advantage if we have the cash available and if we build into our positions properly, yeah. which is essentially what we're doing here. You know, if we went into our Alibaba position, Dad, with a full position right off the bat, we'd be pretty hooped and we'd say, darn, yeah. you know, we're down 20% yeah. on this. I don't really want to add more capital. But because we came in with the idea of buying in batches, this is yeah. exactly what we did. And we didn't add, we didn't quite double down on the position, but we took a pretty significant nibble to get in at a lower cost. And uh, I don't know about you. We have talked about this off camera briefly, but we're, we're not going to be going too heavy into this just because we don't want our allocations to be too high in these um, certain areas of the market, right? It's almost like, mm. If we're liking the stock at this price, it may be a case where we kind of have to bite the bullet, be patient, and we don't want to, you know, although there is potentially an opportunity here, which is what I stand behind, right. you don't want to overexpose your portfolio and these nibbles will get it to a reasonable size, but that's essentially what we did there with the Alibaba stock. And with Tencent, um, we actually decided to hold off on Tencent right now because I think they are going through, they're in a little bit of a different position with all of these regulations that are coming in. I think they're actually a little more exposed than Alibaba, in particular their gaming division. Nevertheless, we've seen both those stocks start to bounce, uh, hopefully forming a bottom here. But Well, and I think this is a good example, and I've used this strategy for years. If you're taking a new position, and here every position was new because we're starting the, the portfolios back in May. Um, if you have an allocation, whether it's 2% or 5% or 10%, whatever your ultimate target is for a holding uh, in your portfolio, I've always been an advocate of taking at the most say half a position so if you're if you want to get a five percent position ultimately take two and a half now participate that way if the company you know grows if the stock value does increase in the short term you will participate but you're not getting greedy um there's probably a reasonable chance that it's going to pull back in the in the shorter term especially where we are with the valuations today and so um, then you take your two and a half percent position if it does pull back you add more or even if it's flat you periodically this is where mm -hmm. you're sort of that dollar cost averaging in or in this case in this case averaging down um it, it works uh, it's a good strategy that works and it takes a lot of the risk out of the um you know uh, from the get-go uh, and yet allows you, but you have to be monitoring the portfolio like you are in these particular companies here and, and making that call. It does take me right back to, uh, you know, the first major market crash that I, the, in my career, which is the tech crash back in 01, 2001. Um, and uh, it was scary, but, but even, you know, the companies that seemed that they were like, well, they were extremely volatile. If you just kept adding in a methodical way on a regular basis, you ended up doing very well and much quicker you know, if everything works out with BABA here, the script is yet to be written, but if it does, um, by taking this little extra nibble now, that will, mm -hmm. uh, it, it averages that lower cost base, so the recovery will be just quicker than if you just sit and let it come back, which is which is fine too, if that's what you wanna do. Absolutely. Yeah. You added a stock in the Wealth Simple portfolio, and I did. that was the pick Campbell Soup. I did, I'll talk about that for a minute. I, I did add Campbell Soup, it was a new addition to the uh, portfolio. And um, this is, you know, what I'm looking for for the most part because the mandate of the of the balanced portfolio of the wealth simple portfolio is to have less volatility. And with and we're going to talk in this video today about where the markets are at. And you know, I, I don't like the valuations the markets are at right now. So taking more of a defensive play on this. Um, first step, I got a. Um, I, I mentioned earlier I have a watch list, uh, a couple of watch lists that I get alerts on. And so in this case, uh, I subscribe to Stock Charts, and I did receive a uh, an indication that they uh, they identified Campbell Soup as uh, possibly oversold uh, with an or oversold uh, with the improving RSI. So this kind of goes back to that RSI mm -hmm. indicator that we're looking at. So that put my focus on uh, on Campbell Soup. My next step was to look at some of the technicals and just see, okay, uh, let's sort of round out the picture a little bit. And if we look at this next chart, uh, this is where we're going to look at a couple of indicators I looked at here. One is the RSI, and we'll see that in the lower part of the screen had dipped down below 30. So it might be an indicator that it's time to take a closer look. Um, the stock had also pulled back around 14%, as you can see in sort of the top part of this chart. And so uh, this the 200-day simple moving average is another indicator that I, I typically overlay just to see is the stock trading above or below that average. Uh, you can see here significantly below that average. So when I married those two things up, I thought that this might be uh, a good time to um, 
to add to the company. So then I just rounded that off with a good old fashioned, uh, you know, fundamental analysis. And you look at, you know, the mm -hmm. dividend, uh, dividend is paying in the three and a half percent range. It's in the consumer staples uh, space, which in highly valued markets is always a, a good place. So for a lot of reasons, I won't get into everything I like about Campbell's Soup in this video today, but those are the reasons that I did decide to add it to that portfolio. So I took a position in there of, I think it was 20 shares. So let me just have a look and see what, uh, yeah, it was, tw it was 20 shares that we added um, back uh, August the 9th. The price that uh, we paid for this company was uh, $42.38. And as you mentioned, um, you know, it, it is, it is up marginally from there, and uh, I don't expect much to happen in a month's time period in any event. So uh, it's mm -hmm. just, I'm happy to have it as part of that portfolio, adding to that defensive uh, sector, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But I hope that's a bit of the logic behind why I chose, to, first of all, why I identified Campbell Soup as a possible entry into the portfolio, and then ultimately the, the decision-making process as to why to enter it, uh, why to actually add it. Yeah, and I, I wasn't following Campbell's Soup as closely, but I just did a video on Kellogg's, which mm -hmm, yeah. is a very similar category, yeah. a very similar mm -hmm. company based over in the States. Uh, I was talking about the weakness that we were seeing in the consumer staples sector. Yeah. So Kellogg's as well was down. Another stock that I was looking at quite closely was Unilever. These stocks have started to pull back, which is, I guess, why we've seen that lower RSI. We started to see the opportunity there. And although we weren't looking at the exact same company, in general, I think we had the same thoughts on that uh, broader category. And you're all, you're often going to see that when we have I mean mm -hmm. and, and the 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 markets are quite volatile right now we'll see certain sectors you know getting ahead of themselves and we're going to set, see certain uh, sectors um, getting behind pulling I would say back, yeah pulling yeah. back and we could be it could be uh, looking at some good opportunities. I agree. Well, one yeah. last final uh, addition that yeah. we made was uh, a very simple one. In fact, we added one share, one little one share, whole of, share. One whole share, not a fractional share, just one whole share of Lockheed Martin. And we've spoken before on the channel a million times about Lockheed Martin. I have a very high level of confidence with this stock going forward. Uh, I believe it's undervalued. And this was just a simple case of, again, averaging down. I know it's only one share, but we actually own a total of only five shares. So we had four. We just kind of nibbled with the one. But I don't think too much else has to be said about that. Lockheed Martin, we're down about 7% on that position. And it's just deciding where we should deploy our money. Because I think we can now transition to, I think what's going to be another yeah. very important part of this video is what's with the lack of trades that we've been making? And, you know, it's been a month and a bit since we did our last update. But what, why are we waiting? What are we waiting for? Yeah. Uh, I got some questions on my last video saying, Oh, you're a, you're a hypocrite. You're timing the market. You're timing the market, right? Right. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I really, really respect that comment actually, because, you know, we always say time in the market beats timing the market. Why aren't yeah, you always investing? Yeah. And that's what I think we want to talk about here today, because it's I, a very, 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 very important touching point. Probably the most important part of what we're going to talk about today, as a matter of fact, and again, I, this is sort of more of the philosophical or the strategic method as opposed to, you know, what we're actually doing, but mm -hmm. just a little bit of thought process. Uh, I'll start off with a few points, Brandon, and then we can sort of just open up the dialogue. But uh, yeah. we touched on this earlier. We're three and a half months into this process. And um, you will hear the argument if you come into a chunk of money, and in this case, we just added a chunk of money from zero into the portfolios. Um, we know that the markets more move up more often than they move down. So why don't you just put everything in and over time it'll it'll you'll you'll come out further ahead. And uh, yeah, if we stretch that line way out, um, it's um, you could make that mathematical it's argument. Fair, yeah, fair. Argument. It, it's fair. Now the reality is though. Um, we're talking with our viewers who are real people and we are real people and you can look back and say you know the the math works in your favor this way but we're going through uh, everybody goes through emotions and par a big part of uh, successful investing is managing those emotions and so the average person especially someone who's a beginner and a lot of the people who are you know, part of our mm -hmm. academy and and viewing these videos are new if you put your full chunk of money in day one, and then if the market's corrected, so whether it's even 10%, that would be scary, but 20 or 30 or even more, that could scar you for life. And uh, if you're a seasoned investor and you just, you know, you, you've been through the ups and downs and you have that inner fortitude, uh, which is really hard, even for veterans, um, then sure, go for it. But the average person isn't going to be able to ride that out. Uh, and especially if you don't have more money coming in to co to dollar cost down, it's just, mm -hmm. I would argue it's too risky of a proposition from a psychological standpoint, not necessarily from a mathematical 
standpoint. What are your thoughts on right. that, Brennan? Yeah, I 100% agree. We've been talking all throughout this video about how we're averaging into positions and how we have this capital set aside mm. to do so. It's all part of the bigger picture behind how you put money into the markets. And, you know, psychological point aside, I don't think we are even closely timing the market just because we're being slower on purchases. Like, you know, when we started this challenge off, we set, and again, you can go back to those previous videos, like the first yeah. or second one where we talked about our strategies. We set our target allocations. We set, we're not a, a, expecting both of these portfolios to be 100% cash. I mean, 100% equities, 100% equities. Yeah. Absolutely not. We set an allocation for bonds. We set an allocation for our cash targets. Mm -hmm. And yes, we are higher on the cash target right now. Like we're basically taking the full advantage of what we set for our cash targets, but we still have like 80% of our portfolio invested, right? Yeah, I think yeah, that's the yeah. difference when people say, oh, you're timing the market. You know, if we had 100% of our cash on the sidelines, which a lot of people do, yeah. when you look at what people do, they say, yeah, well, I'm just waiting for that right time. I'm waiting for the market to come down. Yeah. And they're literally holding 100% or 80% or even 50% of their yeah. in their assets in cash, that I think is timing the market. Check out what we're doing. We have 80 we have 80% in the market or in our balanced portfolio, you know, we're targeting a 60/40 split, but we have money in fixed income. Yes, we have cash, but we're still within our our targets, which is why it's so important to set those strategies. And yes, we've been slower on the buys, but that's selective investing. That's not timing the market. That would yeah. really be my my way of saying that. I would say that's very well said. Uh, very well said. And if we go back to March of last year, I know of people who took their money out of the markets, you know, middle of March when the markets were falling, went yep. to cash with the expectation that once the markets recover or are looking better, I'll get back in. Well, that's definitely timing the market because you are now exiting the market. And mm -hmm. generally speaking, if that's your inclination, you're not going to, you know, add it back at the first tick up. You're going to wait until we see strong recoveries. The recoveries typically come very, very quickly. Um, and we've seen that in, you know, this last go around. So yeah. then at some point, okay, now I'm going to get back. We're not in and out of the markets. An analogy that we talked about earlier, Brandon, I think is applicable here because I know you golf um, is for those, for those you try, yeah, you hit the ball. For those golfers, um, when you're when you're you know looking at a, a fairway and you can see you know a lot of fairways are big, wide open spaces, and even the average golfer can get out the driver and you know take a whack at it, and the margin of error is pretty big out there, right? And so there's times when I would say the markets are valued at a big wide fairway. There are times when that fairway is much uh, narrower or the landing spots um, aren't mm -hmm. as forgiving. And right now we are in, and we're going to talk a little bit more here soon about how we're measuring the width of the fairway, or in this case, the markets. We're in a place right now where that landing area is pretty small. So there's nothing wrong as a golfer of scaling back and taking out your three wood or your five wood or hitting a long iron. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're not expecting to hit it as far, but for this particular fairway, you're, uh, you're just mitigating, you're balancing off the risk w with the reward because the risk of taking too big of a swing, you know, you're out of bounds or you lost your ball or whatever the case may be. And I see this yeah. very, very much the same right now where we're not trying to hit a, the longest drive we can. We are hitting the ball. We're not, we're not stopped, yeah. you know? We didn't stop swinging, exactly. Yeah, so hopefully that can resonate and I really see that as, no, we're playing the game, we, you know, but we're, like you said, about 80% of the money is invested in some form right now. So. I agree. Uh, we're we're not timing the market. Uh, we have most of our money in the market, but there we are. We're um, calculating, uh, taking some educated calculations here as to uh, what the best allocations would be given where we're at right now. We're we're um, we're okay with the odds. I mean, there right now. I think the odds are against us, but we're still we're still playing the game, and we'll see how that turns out uh, in the shorter term. Yeah. You should have watched the tournament. There was a really good tournament last week. It went down to a playoff with DeChambeau and then Cantley. Okay, yeah. And it was like it was just so crazy to see their difference in approach. I mean, right. Bryson's obviously <laughs> smashing the drives every yeah. single one, and Cantley's more or less just placing them in on the fairway. Yeah. And there's Target like golf. literally thirty to forty foot or thirty to forty foot yard difference on every drive. Yeah. Cant Cantley came out the winner, right? So we're not always striving for. It's not always time to just full on whack in the markets. You know, sometimes this, the, the this more strategy can be the the play, right? Well, that's a that's a very good example, and I I think investing is much the same. Now, um, I guess that's going to lead us into the next part of our video here. And yeah. um, as there's there's a lot of 
a disagreement out there as far as whether you should be invested, whether the markets are going to go up, whether the markets are going to go down, and none of us know going today, going forward. But there's something that we can do, and we can measure the markets. And you know, there are metrics that we can look at that we can determine, okay, where are we out there? Um, the, you know, a boating analogy, if you're out boating, you can measure how fast the wind is moving, right? And you'll know how that will affect the waters. And you can still choose to go out in your sailboat or in your motorboat, even if the winds are high, you just have to know what you're dealing with, mm -hmm. your choice. Or if the winds are too high, you can decide to maybe stay in the harbor until a little bit later. And we're, we're seeing right now a very windy scenario, I would say. And what we're going to do in the video today, uh, and I hope this resonates with some people, is we're going to look at a number of charts. And for those of you who are listening on the podcast version of this, only this next section, we are going to be, it's going to be fairly graphical in nature. Uh, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you can maybe go back and catch the tail end of this video on the, on the actual YouTube channel if, uh, if, you, if you want to see that. But let's measure where we are in the market. So first okay. of all, let's start with an overall valuation. And the first chart I want to look at here is a chart that uh, JP Morgan prepares. And this just shows the, the forward price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500. And you know, a quick glance at the chart, move your eyes to the right-hand side of the chart. And we're gonna see that this, goes, this is as of June 30th, the most recent uh, report that I pulled from them. But we're seeing a, a PE of about 21.5. And that's just a measurement of the, you know, the price to the earnings of the industry, of the sector, of the uh, index as a whole. Mm -hmm. When we look back um, over time, so the middle of the chart roughly shows the 25-year average is 16.7. Is and when we look at when the market has been as high as it is today, um, I'll just summarize, the, the results haven't been pretty. And uh, when we, uh, it, it sort of there's a little bit of a table at the upper hand part of the chart here, and it shows you know, the latest number, 21.53, uh, the 25-year average, 16.71. If you look at the Schiller index, Latest 37.7, 25-year average 27.7. The uh, price to book ratio, the fourth one down, 4.19 right now, 25-year average 3.02. And finally, the uh, price to cash flow, 16 versus 11 on the longer term average. These are measurements of the valuation of the market. And as much as you love the fact that we've you know, mostly been making money for the last year or so, um, you can't ignore these and a seasoned you know boatsman would look at the forecast and say where are we today and the winds are really blowing right now as i said so this is something we have to be aware of and we just can't ignore um i'm going to look at a couple more charts here brandon and the next chart i want to put up is the uh, the concentration of the s p 500 and if we look at the left part of this chart uh, there's the the greenish line is the top 10 constituents of the S&P 500 and the black line is the rest. So you look at the, you know, the Amazons, the Apples, the Microsofts, the Googles, you know, the Facebooks, the Teslas, the top 10 companies in that S&P 500 are currently trading with a uh, price to earnings ratio of over 30 or, you know, right at 30. And so that's essentially double what the long-term um, average is. So um, if th there's a lot of people today who are growth investors, and so you might find your portfolio really over-concentrated in this sector. Uh, it's just getting riskier and riskier all the time. Uh, quick example, that's maybe why we put some Campbell Soup in, because we want to have some of that bottom part as well, which is statistically um, less risky. Another chart I want to look at, and this is a complicated chart here, but I'm going to try and explain it the best I can, because I think it tells a really good story, is a scatter chart. And on the left side of this chart, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, how a scatter chart works, but on the, the y-axis, so on the left-hand side, it shows the percentage of return. And this is the S&P 500 as a whole. The x-axis along the bottom shows the P-E ratios in this time. So the further to the right the dot is, is the higher price to earnings ratio. And the further to the left is the higher return. And you can see where the red dot shows us now, or a couple of months ago, we're at, at that 21 and a half range. What this chart tells me, if you look up or down from where that dot is, um, you're, you see more downside. So this looks out over the next year, from, if, you know, from where we are today, over the, the upcoming year, historically, what has happened, there's way more downside potential right now than there is upside. It doesn't mean there isn't upside potential, but there's more downside. If you just go back sort of to the middle, let's say, you know, look at the, the bottom axis where it says 14 and you look up, you see the returns are much better, much more predictable uh, in that case. Even more 
glaring to me is the right side of this chart where it shows that the same dot again, but now it's going out the next five years. Mm -hmm. And it's showing from today. So from previously, using history as a guide, when the stock market or the S&P 500 has been trading at around a 21 valuation, very little upside in the next five years. Whereas if it's back down to the left side of the chart, you see much more potential. Now, this doesn't mean that for the next five years, the markets won't make money, but mm -hmm. very, very high probability that the markets will pull back. And if you have some dry powder to you know, put into action when that does happen, that's how you can manage through these market times. And again, this, I don't think this is really statistically market timing. It's being aware of where we are today. And I think that chart, um, it, it can be a little bit scary if you just have your money in today, all invested, and you have no opportunity to manage or to even add money for the next five years. It doesn't bode well. Now, three months from today, that number could be back down to 15. And actually this next chart, uh, it's called reflection points. And just, you know, you can sort of go through at your leisure and maybe pause the video here and look through this. But really, really uh, what I see here, every time you look at a PE of 15 or above, or like say 20, so look in 2000, uh, around 2000, PE trading at 25, what happened? Well, the markets dipped, they crashed. Um, 2007, the PE trading only at 15.1, so it wasn't even that high. Markets crashed. If we look at February of 2020, uh, obviously before 19, COVID, the markets yeah. were trading at 19 PE, and today they're trading at that 21. Now, more importantly, or equally importantly, I would say here, if we look back to uh, the 2000s again, after the correction, the PE corrected down to the 15% range before we saw the recovery. Um, in 2007, the PE corrected down to 10 before we start to recover. Even recently, when when COVID hit last year, we saw the markets go from a PE of 19 down to a PE of 13. And it seems like just yesterday, uh, and now it's climbed, you know, that 92% up to where it is right now. In the next month or two months or three months or a year, we will see a correction again at some point. And then that PE will go back down to a reasonable level and that's when we can capitalize. And you know that the scatter chart that said from today, five-year returns are very low. Well, you can increase those returns if you just manage the portfolio and uh, and you know just have like say have some powder dry to move into the markets when we do see that that PE come back down to more normal levels. I know there's a lot of numbers I just threw at you, but hopefully this you know gives us a an idea of statistically speaking the markets are pricey right now still be invested but just use a little more caution than you might otherwise use that's just you know those are those are my kind of you know baby boomer thoughts but also you know i worked with clients through all of these types of of uh, cycles over the years and and i saw the emotions that people go through normal average people and we all feel those so don't ignore those you know be aware of them and things are pretty heady right now you gotta do a mic drop after that, Dad. <laughs> That's a lot of talking. <laughs> wow, I like it. Mar markets are expensive. There's your takeaway. Yeah, when the nuts. Jeez, I mean, I don't even know how to follow up with that. Hopefully, that gave the viewers just some, <laughs> just some very, very statistical perspective. Because at the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. You know, when you look back at those data points, the five-year averages when P's are high. I mean, we obviously we're not trying to paint doom and gloom, but not at all. Yeah, the, the numbers are there for a reason, right? The data they grab those data points for a very, very, very fair reason, and mm -hmm. these are all just parts to consider uh, as part of the as part of the overall process. But that's that's yeah. awesome. I think what I just said, hopefully, if I can summarize that in a few words, is don't ignore this information. You know, mm -hmm. go out on your boat, but be aware. And uh, if you ignore it, you do that at your own peril. Um, and that's, you know, those situations often don't uh, end well. As we mentioned, Brandon, these portfolios and personally, we still have most of our money invested. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, it isn't a doom and gloom scenario uh, because opportunities will, will come up here. And if you're a long-term investor, heck, if your portfolio does take a 30% hit, um, you should be prepared to ride that out. If you need that money today, well, it shouldn't be invested in the markets. But if it's for longer term, then uh, nothing, nothing really scary out there. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact... Uh, you know, I would welcome the next pullback because, you know, we could put some extra money into the markets. But right now it's just a little bit, uh, it is a little bit on the uh, aggressive side.
for nah. sure. That's, well, that's my two cents worth. That's my ten cents worth today. I think I talked a lot. That's 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 like a dollar's <laughs> worth of advice. Yeah. Well, hey guys, let's let's wrap up the video there mm. because uh, we are getting quite into it. But if you guys did enjoy that and if you appreciate the content here, please do drop a thumbs up. The thumbs up helps the channel so much it actually gets the video yeah. shown to more people. So if you did enjoy any of that, um, that's a great way of supporting us. Do you have any final thoughts after that, Dad? Or you're kind of you're out of words at this well, point. Well, I'm out of I'm out of breath. Little, little yeah, out of yeah. words. So, so uh, no, I think you know I could just sort of keep reiterating things, but I think we've kind of gone through, and and uh, hopefully this will provide some guidance, and it'll resonate with uh, with our I, viewers. I, I think so, and I think just to add on, like one of the biggest things, just I'll, that actually reminds me, if you guys do want to. Mm check out more of what we have to offer beyond the YouTube channel, check out our academy because we do offer a private membership group. We have training courses if that is up for you. But one of the biggest things, uh, one of the biggest things that students take away when they join our membership group or they look back at our previous trades, there are periods where you go with these like, you know, sometimes long sustained periods where the buys are so infrequent and then you decide when to go in and kind of load up the truck right mm. and that that is kind of what we're displaying here live for you guys we're in one of those periods where we're just not you know choosing not to buy for the various reasons that you talked about and more but that you know knowing not when to buy and knowing when to be patient is probably equally as important as knowing when to buy and when to load the truck. So hopefully we're showing that to you guys with this portfolio building challenge. Again, if you want to stay up with like the live time updates exactly when we do things and get email updates, that's in that first link down below. Mm. But that's, um, yeah, I think we can wrap it up there. Sure. If you guys are not subscribed to the channel, we post videos every single week. You can go back and watch all the previous ones in this series if you want to see the progression thus far. Mm. Um, honestly, I, I think we can wrap it up there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've kind of covered off what we would like to. And I look forward to, you know, the, the next uh, the next update, whether mm -hmm. it's in a, a month or so. We were about five weeks this time. We'll try and keep it to that one month. But uh, who who knows? It could be earlier if, if we see a lot of activity out there in the market. So we'll keep you up to date with what we're doing. For sure. And maybe that's a good question for those that have stuck around all the way through. If you made it all the way through here... We'll know because you answered this question. Yeah. But would you would you guys like to see more updates, even if we're not doing things? Like for example, um, we didn't make as many purchases over this last period, so our our review went a little bit longer than usual, or our you know our our space between the reviews. Would you guys still want the freaking reviews just to keep you updated in terms of whether we are or not doing something? Maybe mm. you guys can leave a comment down below because sure. that feedback will be taken. That'd into be account. valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good. Wait, thank you guys all for watching, Dad. Thanks for taking the time here this Saturday. I'll get this video posted either tomorrow or on Monday. So that's okay. when the viewers will be watching. But I think we can take the rest of the weekend off and enjoy. Uh, love it. Okay. Enjoy Actually, tomorrow, Brandon, we're doing a session with our uh, Academy students. A live well, session tomorrow yeah. morning. We're, we're not taking everything off. We got a session with the students. That's right. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Don't take, take tomorrow take off, off, okay? <laughs> no, I'll be, I'll be there tomorrow. But all right. Good Thanks, Brandon. You, yeah. Great, great Thanks. to see you. Thanks, everybody, right. for watching. All right, see you guys in the next video.